Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. My name is Sophie Collins, and I am a mother and entrepreneur, and I am obsessed with feeling my best. This show is going to cover everything from work to wellness to motherhood and what it looks like to encompass all of those things into your life. I hope you enjoy. Today's episode is such a special conversation with Erin Trelore of Raw Beauty Talks. Erin is a celebrity health expert, meditation teacher, and founded Raw Beauty Co., and she's the host of the Raw Beauty Talks podcast. She was born and raised in Vancouver, and Erin struggled with an eating disorder as a teen and young adult. And for as long as she can remember, she's navigated life with anxiety, which she is so raw and open about on her Instagram. Determined to turn her struggles into wisdom for others, she started Raw Beauty Co. in 2014 as an interview series featuring women without makeup, photo editing, and filters. And let me tell you, at the time, this was so revolutionary. I remember these images just going viral and being so raw and the people that she profiled feeling like they were so brave. And I really do believe Erin has changed the conversation around being raw and unedited and unfiltered. Amazed by the reaction of the series she garnered from people around the world, she became a certified health expert through the Health Coach Institute and now works with hundreds of women through her one-on-one practice and online programs, which she creates in collaboration with celebrity psychologists and health experts. She's passionate about helping women feel better in their bodies and lives through her four evidence-based pillars, nourishment, movement, mindset, and self-love. Since beginning her practice in 2017, her international reach has helped thousands of people redefine their relationship with their bodies, food, and their overall well-being. This looks like helping women ditch diet culture, learn to eat intuitively, and understand how to truly take care of themselves from the inside out. Not to mention, she's also the founder of a nonprofit called Free to Be, such an important mission. The program helps empower youth aged 10 to 14 by developing media literacy, cultivating positive body image tools, and helping to promote self-esteem. So far, this organization has brought helpful tools to over 2,500 young people. Erin and I talk about parenting, motherhood, wellness, her journey with hospitalization from her eating disorder and anxiety, what her days look like, the tools that support her, what it feels like to not drink, and ultimately what it feels like to love yourself. And I could not be more grateful to be sharing this conversation with you all. I know you're going to love Erin. Hello, Erin. Thank you so much for joining today. I am so excited to be connecting with you in this forum and chatting all things Raw Beauty Co. Thank you for taking the time. I'm so excited to be here, Sophie. We've been living in the same neighborhood essentially for a long time now. And we've had some lunches together and see each other at events all the time. But it's going to be nice to just have a conversation and be able to dig in a little bit deeper. It is. And we've actually known each other for a really long time from a very different era of our Earl's waitressing days. Yes. Yes. We've come a long way. (laughs) Although those are really fun times. (laughs) 
really fun times. There may have been some Sunday nights at the Roxy, but we don't have to get into that today. (laughs) Oh, so many, so many Sunday nights at the Roxy, me trying to get on stage with no reason to be up there, but you know. (laughs) Never a reason other than fun, which is a good reason. Exactly. (laughs) But since then, we've both had a couple of kids, started some businesses. And I know throughout the years, we've really connected on not only our successes and joys, but also our struggles. And I know that's something that you are very candid about. And it's one of the reasons that people are so grateful for the community you've built. And I know a lot about you, but for the people who don't know, can you give us just a little bit of your background and what it is you're working on and excited about? Yeah. Well, like so many women, I struggled with an eating disorder in high school that was it got really bad. I mean, I was hospitalized for three months in between grade 11 and 12 in an inpatient program. And while it was awful going through that, and I wouldn't wish that upon anybody, it also, it taught me a lot. And it was the first time in my life that I stopped everything and really just focused on myself. So I always say it was like the first step in the staircase that I've been climbing of self-development, self-awareness. Oftentimes, I think with many people, it takes coming to this rock bottom place in order to start that climb up. And and without that space, uh, without the anxiety or the eating disorder or the grief or the moment of pain that we've experienced, many people will just sort of stay hanging out on the rung of the ladder where they find themselves. So While that time was really hard, I actually am so grateful for it because it has taken me on the most incredible journey. So I, looking back, understand more and more about why I struggled with that eating disorder. And at the root of it, I know that there was a lot of anxiety. When we were in high school, and I'm older than you, but when we were in high school and And even in my 20s, anxiety and mental health wasn't something that was being talked about a lot like it is now. And so there was never a diagnosis of anxiety. When I went for treatment for the eating disorder, it was like, have you been through any trauma? What's your home life like? And, you know, nothing really crazy or wild had happened. But uh, my family history, there's a long line of anxiety. And so food became this tool or mechanism that helped me to cope with those those feelings of anxiety, the feelings of perfectionism, the feelings of wanting to fix everything and and make everyone in my family happy 24-7. So as I left the hospital program, I was at a healthier weight. I was, you know, no longer in this space where my mind was completely consumed by food, but it still wasn't all picture perfect by any means. I fell into almost a decade long cycle of binge eating and I would eat healthy or eat clean during the day. But so often when we're eating clean or when we're eating healthy or we're eating in a really restricted fashion, it's almost like imagine a a pendulum swinging. We pull the pendulum up too high. And when we let go, for so many people, we swing in the opposite direction. And so that's what was happening for me. I was still, you know, doing the wild rose cleanse and the cabbage soup diet because everyone I knew was doing that. 
And it was just sort I, of like yeah, I did this. both of those things as you well. Did, yeah, right? I mean, you're a couple of years older, not many, but it was the same for me in high school. I mean, the '90s. It was the heroin chic models. Yes. That's who we looked up to. So yep. much airbrushing. And that's yeah. obviously something we can touch on today too, because I, I know it's something that you've been, I don't want to say on a tirade about, but you've wanted to expose what is being done in media and how that affects young women and men. Yeah, all of us, really. I'm so glad that you brought that up because diet culture was really at its peak in in the 90s. And when I see pictures of the girls that we used to look at in magazines, like Lindsay Lohan and Nicole Richie and Kate Moss... These girls, I, it has, when I say this, it has nothing to do with them. Like I actually have so much empathy for them, but they were all really, really thin and it wasn't a healthy ideal to be looking up to. And and most women's bodies do not look like that without a pretty restrictive diet, probably a lot of drugs too. Um, anywho, <laughs> <laughs> so after the hospital, I was in this cycle of trying to figure out what does like, how do I eat? And I thought I I needed to eat super clean always, but then I would find myself binge eating, eating in secret, especially in the evenings. And then I was just like, I felt so ashamed and so much guilt and just so disgusted by myself, to be honest. And I felt like I was the only one who couldn't figure it out as well. Like, I just need to have more discipline was the mindset. I didn't understand that my body's natural survival mechanisms were kicking in. Like, she's going to try and take food away from us again. So we better try and get it in as much as we can. And so I existed in this space for a really long time. From the outside looking in, you probably wouldn't have known it. I mean, my body always stayed at a quote-unquote healthy weight or within that range. I was working at the restaurants at this time. I mean, the reality is there are a lot of women, a lot of women who are living in this cycle. I think the stat is 80% of women have struggled with disordered eating at some point in their life. And I'm sure that people listening to this right now are nodding their head like, oh yeah, I used to do that. Or, you know, I would drink on the weekends and we would all go out and binge drink basically, and then hit up. 7-Eleven or like hit up these places and get all the food and because your 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 guard is taken down by alcohol. And so it wasn't until I started working with a coach myself, actually, I tried different therapists. I just wasn't like finding the one. I'm such an advocate for therapy. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I, we yeah. both have found the one now because yes. I think we have the same therapist. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I couldn't, I like, I couldn't find my person. And I think it's so important with therapy that you find somebody who you really resonate and connect with. And, um, but for whatever reason, I met this life coach at a, at a party and, um, I started working with her and it just really clicked for me. I think what was so incredible about it is that with coaching, we're really helping support you to create a vision for your life or to set a goal or something that you're working towards. And it's all about what are the steps that we need to take in order to get you there? And what are the blocks that are getting in the way? So we did a lot of somatic body work together. I got really clear on what my vision was. And And what was your vision at the time? Oh, well, I mean, I can show you right now. I'll tell everyone on the background. I created this vision board when I was 25 years old. I was living in Kits, which is a neighborhood in Vancouver that is super fun and filled with lots of young people. I was living in a basement suite. The basement suite was really nice. They'd just redone it, but it was about 300 square feet. And I was single. 
I was working at the restaurant. So I was broke because I would make good money, but then spend it all on clothes and drinking and trips that I couldn't actually afford. And cash doesn't feel real as a a waitress, (laughs) does it? (laughs) Living in a little bubble that I don't know. It was anyways, I, I think that the main struggle at that point was the relationship with food. And this was my first introduction to things like meditation and learning to sit with the hard, difficult feelings rather than taking food, shoving it down my throat and essentially just stuffing those emotions and those feelings back down again. So my coach supported me in really understanding and learning that I could sit with even the feelings that felt so big and that like a wave, they might start to rise up and it might feel even worse at first, but that with time they would dissipate and start to dissolve. So on my vision board, I have lots of images of travel. I have the words mentor, innovative, doing good, mompreneur, make a million. I have a whole corner that's dedicated to family. I have a guy, he's drinking a coffee. You can't see his face, but it is so crazy because I swear it is Scott when he is like going into the office. Like, look at this guy right here. Even his facial oh, hair wow. is the same color as Scott. You can see That's that I amazing. do have pictures of like women's like stomachs and stuff like that. So it's like the hints of the, you know, the obsession. I, I think so many of us have had at one point or another, these like inspirational images of women's bodies. Like Why? Like, it's always the stomach too. It's always it's the stomach. stomach. It's the of stomach. Course. I remember, yes. I think growing up, it was like my number one goal in life was to have a flat stomach. And <laughs> My, I'm, you know, I, I'm healthy and I like to work out, but the way that my body works, it's not a super flat stomach. It just isn't like, that's not how my body was built. I'm very confident now. And even more so after having kids, I found that I completely changed my relationship with my stomach Mm -hmm. because I realized that was like the birthplace of my family and my children. And now I literally will put my hands where my womb and uterus is. And I am so grateful for to feel the roundness, you know, that I was given. And that shift really, really changed for me when I had kids. I don't know if that was the same for you. Well, I think that my relationship with my body, I'd done so much work around it. And so for me, pregnancy felt really good. And I love that you're sharing this story because I think that there are so many women who still struggle with their stomach. And that's the number one space that I hear people talk about when I'm working with women is my stomach. I don't like my stomach. So where do we learn this? Where do we learn that the roundness of a stomach is wrong or that it's not okay? When you go back in time and look at the statues, if anybody's had the, you know, anyone's had the opportunity to to travel, especially to places like Europe, where we see these museums filled with uh, statues of women, they all have like softness and curves and roundness. And so this is something where it's more of a modern day beauty standard to have this flat stomach. For me, I immediately think of the Victoria's Secret models. And I was obsessed with those girls. I used to watch that show and do crunches while I was watching it because, and feel like so motivated after. So, I mean, our journey with our bodies are complicated and we have to kind of really bring mindfulness to it and ask questions like, where did this belief come from? And does it feel good to 
to hold on to this belief moving forward? Or is it just causing me more harm, more stress, um, more toxicity in my body through the own thoughts that I'm like through my own thoughts that I'm having about myself? It's complicated. It's mm-hmm. not easy. To say the least. Yeah. So you made the vision board mm-hmm. and you ended up, spoiler alert, meeting the husband that was on the vision board and creating this beautiful family. And you were working with a coach. And was that the moment that the flip switched or were you still struggling day to day and year to year? So the idea of a flip switching, I think can really throw people off. Because I don't know about you, but in any area of my life where there's been healing or growth, whether that was in my business, whether that was starting the podcast, whether that was having children, whether it was becoming a mother, there was never, for me, there's never been a flip. It is Mm -hmm. like a slow growth, a turnover of cell by cell. It is an undoing and unfolding versus just this switch that we're flipping flip switching, switch flipping. I know. I mean, I mess that up every time. Even when I was saying it, I was like, is this the right (laughs) order of words? (laughs) Everyone knows what we're talking about. Two moms trying to do a podcast. Exactly. Um, Yeah, no, but I think we hope for that. You know, Mm -hmm. I hope for that all the time in my business. I'm like, will this be the launch? Will this be the episode? And Mm -hmm. it's just in my experience, it's it's a much more slow unfolding. And I think that's the case when it comes to learning to love ourselves, when it comes to learning to speak to ourselves with more compassionate voice. It takes time and practice. I mean, I still to this day have moments when I look in the mirror and if I'm really focused in and zoomed in, I could pick my body apart. But the difference now and it it did really start around that time is that I found something that I was more passionate about than my body. I found something that felt more important for me to focus on than my body. And it was building out this community of four women for myself and the start of raw. But the idea for raw never would have come to fruition if I hadn't begun the healing process with my body because my mind was so consumed with thoughts of calories, what I looked like, what I didn't look like. I had so much anxiety existing in my body still. And so I really had to do some healing work. And it's not like black and white, like all of a sudden everything was just better, but I had to do some work. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I wish. Snap your fingers three times. (laughs) and. In doing that, it created enough space so that my creativity could start to come back, so that I could dream again. And I did an exercise with my coach where it's called the Wheel of Life, and I do it with people now. It's this circle. It's broken into different segments of areas of our life that we know lead to more happiness, joy, expansiveness, and alignment. And so you go through each segment of the wheel. It's like, what? how are your relationships doing? How connected to spirituality do you feel? How much time are you spending in nature? How connected are you to your purpose? All of these things. And you rate them on a scale from zero to 10. So one of the areas that was lowest for me was creativity. And I was like, I don't have time to be creative. Like, I got to make money. I got to figure this out. I've got a social life. I got to... Like, I, I knew I had big dreams and I just couldn't see where how creativity would support any of those things. And so Alicia was like, no, no, just give yourself 15 minutes and do something creative, do something fun. 
that was when I initially created the vision board. And then another time, you know, as I was spending a little bit of time with creativity, the idea came up of creating a website featuring images of women without photo editing, makeup, or filters, and sharing stories, sharing their stories of their relationship with food and body image and self-love and confidence. And like, what, how do we feel about plastic surgery? And, you know, what's right and what's wrong? And I had so many questions myself. So it really was a conversation. And from there, the ball just started rolling and it's never stopped. That's amazing. And I know you're getting back. I was just listening to your 200th episode of your podcast. Congratulations. I know you're getting back into your free to be um, organization and bringing this message back to schools, which when I was listening to that, I almost got emotional because while I'm raising boys, I still think that this conversation is very important for them because even if it's a, even if it's media that is targeting women and affecting young women and changing their brains. I saw this crazy statistic about how many kids in high school are getting injections now to look a certain way. And, you know, they're not even developed as a person or your face isn't even developed, I feel like, till you're like 30. But I think it's so important to get young boys and men involved in these conversations as well, because things don't change when only 50% of the population is paying attention. And I learned that through my work with the BC Women's Young Women's Council, you have to involve every every human. And so the fact that you're going into schools and having these conversations at a young age and really just bringing awareness to young boys and girls to understand like what this media landscape looks like today and how it might affect you in the future or even today, I think is so, so important. So can you tell us a little bit about your organization? Thank you, Sophie. Yeah. So Free to Be is a positive body image and media literacy program for girls and boys in grades five to nine. And we go into schools over the course of six sessions. We teach them about the messages that they receive in media the stereotypes that are common, and then how this impacts their confidence and their well-being. We talk a lot about the fact that women are um, and girls are highly valued, especially in the lens of media, for the way that they look and for their appearance. Now, the cool thing is when kids are young, they just look at all of this objectively. So we've got little boys and girls like, what? That doesn't make sense. Like, I'm smart, or I can read, or I'm a really good soccer player. And so because we go in early enough, I mean, most of the time we're working with grade five and six kids, they're still able to objectively look at this thing. By the time we're in high school and kids or youth have started to go through puberty, their mind has basically been hijacked and it becomes all about how do I fit in socially? However, if we start to plant these seeds early enough, then they're able to at least look at media with more of a discerning eye. They're able to look at it and be like, okay, well, at least I I know what's happening here. I know what these messages are and why I'm receiving this. They're able to critique it with a little bit more clarity. Mm -hmm. And so in the program, we're teaching them media literacy. We're also teaching them body image tools and working with Dr. Michelle Campbellis as well to bring in some tools to support mental health because when our mental health is suffering and when we're struggling in that area, then obviously we become so much more vulnerable and susceptible to these messages. So really excited for the second iteration of the program to come to life. And um, we've got an awesome crew of people who have joined in to help with that. And we're going to keep building that community up. I actually have a uh, 
volunteer intake form that I'm just starting to collect names of anyone who's interested in supporting once the program's ready, because we really are going to need an army of, I think, mamas, to be Mm -hmm. honest. I think that they're the ones who will really help take this far and wide because so many of us have had our own experience in this area. I think that's exactly right. And please share that with me so I can share that with my community as well. I I wish I had that going into high school. I've never actually shared this, but I really, really struggled between grade eight and nine, right? Kind of exactly like you said, going through puberty, my body changed. I got boobs way earlier than my friends and they were like really big and I had hips and it was just the way my body was. And I never got to the same point that you did, but I, you know, I remember days where for lunch, I would have like 10 carrot sticks or eight to 10 carrot sticks and count those out. And really the only person that noticed what I was going through was my mom. And I remember she kept saying like, why are you eating just the broccoli stems. And she started to notice Mm -hmm. these little pieces of information that she was taking in and notice how my body was changing. And luckily, you know, I didn't get to a point where I needed treatment, but I really, really struggled in that period of time. And I think that if I had had that open conversation and people to talk to and ways to deal with mental health, that it could have been a different story. But It's so true. I mean, you watch the Victoria's Secret models walk down the runway. I mean, even today, you're you're looking at these women who, by the way, are genetically different than Mm -hmm. the majority of the human race. And I think, you know, now I look at it as, oh, I'm going to have fun with the workout because it feels good in my body. And I think that was the biggest shift for me was focusing on how something was going to make me look versus how something was going to make me feel. And while it wasn't a flip, it was a switch. (laughs) It was, it was, that was the first step for me. And that happened around the age of 25. So I would say there was at least a good 10 year period where it was this unhealthy relationship with how I was treating my body and then turning 25 and then having my first child. Those were the building blocks for me really honing in on what makes me feel my best. And that's why that's what I'm so focused on today. And yes, you can be motivated and you can look up to something and you know, you can enjoy the beauty of a human that looks different than you, but what are the tools that are going to serve you day to day for filling up your cup and making you feel your best? Mm, I love that. And it's also so interesting that you said, you know, I'm so lucky I didn't get to that point that you did. Um, in regards to like having to be hospitalized for it, but you still spent a, a decade, almost a decade in a somewhat broken relationship with your body. So it's no different or no worse. It's just that it kind of falls under the radar a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening with so many people. And when we really step back and think about, okay, how much was that impacting those years of your life? Like uh, the reduction in energy, where your attention was going, how much joy you could tap into, how embodied you were able to feel. I mean, it really robs something of us. And if 80% of women are having a period of their life, one year, 10 years, five years, I mean, this is an issue. It's, It's a problem and it is holding us back and I'm not I'm not pointing the finger at women here, but it is holding us back as a group in really being able to move forward. And I feel right now at this time, more than ever, we need women to be in their power. We need women to be energized, to be filled with joy, to be inspired 
fired and moving from that space because in a lot of areas of the world right now, shit is hitting the fan. Mm-hmm. And so we, I love your tagline, obsessed with feeling my best or obsessed with feeling your best. However you want to read it or embody it. For me now, the drive to feeling my best is so far beyond just me. It's like, I've got kids to look after. I've got sisters who look up to me. I've got friends that I want to be able to support. There is a global community that I feel connected to at this point. And me not being my best does not Mm -hmm. allow me to help or serve anybody. So it goes so far beyond just you as an individual. And we have to start switching our mindset around this as women. We feel like it's selfish to look after ourselves when really it's selfless. Like we have to lean in to feeling our best so that ultimately I think most people who are really truly feeling their best are able to start living and moving from a place of service. We have mm-hmm. so much more to give. And right now we really need women who are in a space where they have the capacity to give and, and not from an empty cup. Ugh, I could not agree more. So what does that look like day to day for you right now? Because you're running your business, which has so many different facets of it. You are running your organization. You have two kids who are going to be home for the summer. I just listened to your you know, podcast about wanting to take some time with them, which I totally resonate with. You have a husband, you have an incredible group of friends, you're traveling, you're hosting a retreat. How do you do that every single day and show up for your community and your people? Okay. Well, first of all, it does not look the same every single day and it does shift and change. I am also, I don't know whether I have ADHD or whether it's just more of a creative brain. I, I find structure difficult. So like I, one of my best friends, Kat, she is, she's like religious with her rituals. I feel like you might be like that. We're the same. Me and Kat are the same. We never even really talked about it. And then once we went on a walk and we were like, yes, we're the the same person. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So there's people who are like hardcore about their rituals and it feels really safe. And it feels like, I don't want to say always good, but you've just fallen into those habit patterns and habit loops. So I have to work a lot harder to remain in those. Um, Otherwise, my tendency is just to kind of go a bit more with the flow. But being in the space that I'm in right now, I have really had to put structures in place. Uh, Otherwise, the guardrails fall off and they have fallen off. So I mean, a couple of years ago, I had a terrible anxiety break where I was having panic attacks and intrusive thoughts. I ended up being hospitalized, um, not for very long, but just my thoughts and my mind started to really go to dark places. And it was because I didn't have all of my tools in place. I knew the tools, but I was practicing them kind of willy-nilly because life was so busy and there were so many things coming at me. So coming out of that space of hardcore anxiety with two kids and a business to run and everything, it has been a long healing journey. But within that, there are a few things that I've really connected to and and stuck with. And some of you aren't going to like these things. I'm just telling you right now. Okay. Oh God. So, yeah. <laughs> Is this no coffee and no alcohol to start? Yes, those <laughs> fall in there. So uh, as um, I drink my second after not sleeping last night. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, hey, listen, we all have to do what we've got to do. 
when I don't know what it is with me, but I seem to like really go to the bottom of the barrel <laughs> in order to learn my lessons. It's like but some some people learn really, that way. Like I that mean, is, yes. and everyone has a different bottom. That's the other thing. I think like what is your bottom is different than my bottom. And yeah. sometimes you just, especially as someone who lives in the flow, which to be honest, when you were talking about that, like I envy that. I wish I could wake up and see what I felt like doing. But if I don't have something in the calendar, it's like, what am I going to do? Which has been a really interesting journey as an entrepreneur. But but okay, so what are the things that we're not going to like? Okay, well, I do meditate every single day. And, and what does that um, look like? Do you usually, wake up first thing? Like, let's get super detailed with this. Okay. So people like me who are super routine can copy you. <laughs> yeah. No, I cannot wake up first thing in the morning. I am... This is going to come as a shock because I'm a health coach and I'm supposed to be the one who's waking up at 5 a.m. This is strictly an anxiety thing. So I feel 1,000 times better right now. And I have for about six months. It's just getting better and better is all I can say. So listen up to the tips, people, because you are on a path. I mean, I have so many tips. I've created a whole program around this, but I find it very hard to get up in the morning. Right now I'm getting up at 6.30, but listen to me, this is only for the last six months. Before that, like I was dragging myself out of bed in the morning and it was all, it was all mental health, anxiety type of symptoms. I take medication for my anxiety and that plays into it a little bit as well. So I'm so excited for the chapter of my life where I can get up at 5.30 or 6. And I do 100% believe that will be me because that was me in high school. But well, to be clear, 6.30 life, is still pretty early. <laughs> As a yeah. mom, it doesn't seem early, but people are like, what, 6.30? Oh yeah, <laughs> I guess early. that's true. Wait, yes, I do have, I'm a mom. So I do have two kids that have to go to school and like we're all getting up and getting out of the house. So I get up at 6.30 and I do lemon water And I'll take a moment to do like literally five minutes of writing something down in my journal. This doesn't happen every day, people. Like maybe we're hitting four days a week or I'll have a social post that has to go out and I'll do that before the kids wake up and before Scott wakes up. Usually I get halfway through that because my social posts take so freaking long. I know, mine too. I'm like, I don't understand the people who can constantly be posting on stories because I'm just like, this takes so much of the day and actually away from work. (laughs) I have a story hack for you though. Okay. I have a story hack for you. Okay, Okay. so I'm getting up, I'm doing the water with lemon and maybe four days a week, I'm writing in my journal and I'm writing, I do a lot of vision, visionary work. That's always really resonated with me. So like, this is where I am. This is what I'm embodying. This is what feels aligned with me. I'm writing from a space of I am and really connecting with like energetically getting myself aligned in that space of who I want to be and how I want to show up. Sometimes And is that specifically about that day? So like I am abundant. Is it a general feeling or is it like a specific feeling? It is a specific feeling but not specific about that day. It's more like I am embodying the part of myself. It's so hard to describe because it really is a feeling. It's like I get myself into a space where I feel more expansive. I'm noticing if there's any parts in my body that feel tight or uh, like there's a blockage and I'm breathing into that area. And I'll often have my palms up as if I'm 
asking for support from the universe. I did one last night because my full meditations I usually do right after the kids go to bed. Okay. And so I did one last night with my palms up and my auntie Carol who passed away um, a few months ago. And I was just asking her for support. Like, what's the next step? I felt a huge weight in my hands and and just total clarity. Uh, She said, patience, kiddo. I think that's so beautiful that you can be connected to that and and really listen. I think that's like what people miss too about meditation is really just listening to what is coming through because whether that's from the universe, from God, whatever that means to you, it really is from yourself. And I think that that is what meditation has really taught me is this is within you and to get quiet enough Mm -hmm. to listen to what those messages are. That's really beautiful. When I started meditating, it was a lot of guided meditations. And now it's what I enjoy doing is the 30 minute meditation broken down into three 10 minute chunks. So the first is just connecting to my breath and giving my mind a moment to settle. It's almost like as if you have a jar that's full of sand and you've Uh, shaking the jar. And so when I sit down to meditate, it's like just allowing that sand to fall down to the ground um, and to settle. And so for me, what I find most effective is just focusing on the breath, the inhale and the exhale, the inhale and the exhale, noticing when my mind starts to wander off and gently bringing it back to the breath. Some days that feels easy and I fall into what I call a pocket where it feels like just you lose the sensation of where your body ends and where the air around you begins. And other days it is like, I will get that 10 minute timer will go off on insight timer. And I'm like, damn, I was just working the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. Just thinking about that project or whatever. It really depends. And then I spend 10 minutes doing more of a visualization, really allowing myself to move into that space that I want to exist from. This is something I've been working on a lot in the last year and a half or so is my relationship with abundance and finances. And so I will really spend a lot of time there. That's an area where I have wanted to create big shifts. And so, and then the the last 10 minutes, I'll often do love and compassion meditation where I'm imagining people that I love, acquaintances or people in the world. And Michelle teaches us so brilliantly, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be Mm -hmm. free from suffering Mm -hmm. and just repeating that. So my meditation practice happens usually when the kids have gone to bed and it looks something like that. I am amazed that you spend 30 minutes meditating by yourself when the kids go to bed. I feel like I am so depleted and it's actually such an interesting tip to think about filling yourself back up because Mm. once the kids go down, I'm like, lights are off. Husband, don't talk to me. Phone is on do not disturb. Like, we're done. We're done here. Goodbye. (laughs) Well, last night I was... So I I remember when we had lunch, you were saying, on days that I'm with the kids, I can't work. And on days that I'm working, I need the space to just be able to, to do that. And so yesterday I had one of those days where both of those worlds were combining. I had stuff that I had to get done for work. Both of the kids were home. It was like, snapshot into what summer's going to be like. Yeah. Ooh, by the time it's like eight o'clock, Scott had, he's training for Ironman right now as well. Ugh. So he had been like off on this long run and then he needs to cool down afterwards and like check his stats and stuff. I called him upstairs. I'm like, you're tagging in. I've got to go for a walk. I got to um, check my stats. They're not good. <laughs> Let me tell you. So do I don't need Iron to check fans. them. They're not good. <laughs> exactly. Get your butt up here. Anyways. So he was like, are you okay? I'm like, 
I'm fine. I'm, but I just said like, I'm done. I'm done for tonight. And I need to go for a walk. And then I sat outside and did my meditation. But for me, I've got to have that come down at the end of the day or at some point during the day. Otherwise my nervous system, it's emotional home is just to be vibrating. And the challenge with a vibrating nervous system is that it can feel really good and you can get a lot done. And I think- High-functioning anxiety. High-functioning anxiety. And so it's tough because I don't want to lose that edge and that energy that comes with it. But right now I'm also working on healing my gut and, and all of these other things. And I've seen if I leave my anxiety unchecked where it leads me, and so it's not an option anymore. And it's not actually allowing me to succeed. That's a false narrative that I carry. Despite, despite the anxiety you're succeeding. Yes. Whereas you think, you know, if you're a high function anxiety person, guilty, <laughs> you think, oh, this is the reason, but it's actually it's despite. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So... Yeah. Okay. So back to the morning. Yes. Okay. Back to the things you don't want to hear. My brain works. We're all over the map. So back to the morning then. So lemon water have had maybe 15 minutes to myself, let's say. And then the kids start to wake up and I will make breakfast. I'm doing lunches. We have a nanny three days a week. And so three days a week, she's coming in and she's doing the lunches and I always do breakfast. And then I am working on sitting down with them during breakfast, but I find I have a lot of energy in the morning and it feels like we're going in a million directions. And so I'm usually doing somebody's hair, eating my toast with peanut butter because I don't like almond butter and hemp hearts or my oatmeal. Mm. And it doesn't feel too chaotic to tell you the truth, but it's not like I'm just sitting there sipping my tea and reading a magazine by any means. There's and so we're doing tea. We're not doing coffee. Is that the first oh, thing sorry. we don't so like? I'm having a green, I'm trying to have a green juice right now in the okay. morning, which I have to make. I do like three times a week. I'll make a batch of green juice so that it's ready. Because if anybody's done juicing, it is a whole thing to clean that thing. It is like, there's juice droplets everywhere. I don't know how Melissa would does it every single <laughs> morning. I'm like, no, we're batching this. So, um, that's why I haven't juiced to be honest. Like I, it just seems like way too much work to add to my plate. I just got athletic greens. Cause I was like, okay, it's kind perfect. of green juice. Yes. We'll just do it that way for now. Yeah. No, I, the only reason that I'm juicing right now, I, it's not for me, something that I'm going to do for my whole life, even though I love the taste of juice, but it's, me too. and I love, yeah, I like, I love the juices, but it is all around the gut health. Okay. piece that I'm working on right now because I have two patches of eczema that I've had ever since having kids. And I feel like it's time to sort that out. And so yeah. we're really focusing on gut health, more nutrients, more greens, more mm-hmm. all of it. And mm-hmm. so the juicing is is um, easy access to those minerals and everything. So juicing, breakfast is done. I come home. I take a couple of deep ass breaths because now we're diving into work. And then I have a matcha latte, which I often go and drive 10 minutes to Artigiano to get the matcha latte there, or I make a bloom matcha latte. Do they have a good matcha latte at Artigiano? Yeah, it's my favorite. It's my favorite. That is a hot tip. I have not found a matcha in Vancouver that I like. Small victory, I used to love, but they stopped making homemade nut milk and it really threw me for a loop. Okay. 
This is not homemade nut milk, but if I'm cutting out alcohol, coffee, and meditating, I'm giving myself some goddamn milk in a bottle. Well, like oat milk. I don't care. Love it. I just, I mean, we've got to let ourselves live somewhere. (laughs) Live in the oat milk vibe. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, that is a really, that just brings me joy, that that Mm -hmm. peace. There's something about having that warm drink when you're at your desk. Just love it. And then I am seeing clients one-on-one. I am recording podcast episodes and posting on social media. I'm looking at partnerships and ways to, you know, continue to support the community. I am creating graphics. I'm writing emails for our newsletter. I'm hosting our... So I have two group programs, the Raw Beauty Food and Body Reset and then the Anxiety Reset. So we have a call for each of those groups once a week. And then at three o'clock, two of the days, I'm picking up the kiddos and we're doing after school activities and making dinner and all of that jam. And then three of the days I'm working until five o'clock and um, our nanny is making dinner those days. And I'm being totally transparent with this because I know there are a lot of people who don't have nannies and some people who do have nannies. And I just think it's good that we're honest about what we're actually able to do and who's helping us and how the pieces all come together in this puzzle. A hundred percent. Like I haven't cooked in, and you know, I love to cook. I haven't yes. cooked in months because of everything <laughs> our family has been going through. And I'm just yes. like, that's off the plate. Like yeah. I just literally, truly, literally off the plate. And I just can't, I can't do yes. it. The yeah. kids are so wild. My kids are younger than yours, two and five. And oh, yeah. if I try to cook with them around, I mean, it's no. just not going to happen. No. Yeah, no. it's just not going to happen. I mean, yeah, that this is just it. It does get easier with the kids, I will add. Having a five and a seven-year-old, I'm like, this is so good. It's so good. Like, And are we so done awesome. with two? I feel yeah, like... Yeah, we are. Okay. I went back to an official so decision. Much. Okay. I mean, he hasn't gone to see Dr. Pollock yet. And... <laughs> We all know. And he says he can't even consider it until after his Iron Man. I don't know. He needs the juju or something. I don't have no idea. He's like, you're coming nowhere near me with those right now. So, um, but yeah, I think we're done. I think we're done. We have such a full life and I'm just like so grateful for what I have. There are moments, one of my very best friends had a baby well, she's nine months, 10 months ago now. But when she had her baby, there was definitely like, oh, am I making the right decision? Like there's so many parts of it that are so beautiful, but Mm -hmm. we're good. Okay. Well, I know we only have a couple of minutes left and I did want to touch quickly on postpartum. It's a big topic that my community is asking about and wanting to learn about. If you were someone who was maybe struggling with your postpartum body image, is there a resource that, you know, you can point these people to as one of your courses good for this type of experience and journey? Or what would you recommend for someone who's struggling with the sagging skin and the, you know, new breast size and all of the things that come along with that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so hard because we receive so many messages that our body should just bounce back and that our postpartum bodies aren't good enough. It's a huge huge transformation for a woman becoming a mother and then also continuing to grow as a mother. So I think that often when we're really hard on our body, it's often when we are going through a big transition. Like you mentioned, 
when you were in grade eight, grade nine, going through puberty, that it was a difficult time for you. And our tendency is to focus on food and our body and to almost blame those things for the difficult feelings that might be happening underneath. Or maybe you're just really exhausted Mm -hmm. or stretched or figuring out your identity. And so very often, it's not even about the body. It's about all these other things that are happening. And we don't know how to cope with those, or we don't have tools, or we don't have a therapist or a coach that is in our back pocket yet to help us navigate these things. So just noticing first and foremost, are these body image thoughts coming up at a time that is really transitionary where I am more vulnerable to anxious thoughts or body image thoughts and remembering that you don't necessarily have to do anything about your body. We just need to get you uh, through this, this Mm -hmm. chapter, you know, and to just be where your feet are in this moment now. Okay. Somebody who's experiencing saggy skin or their, their breasts have changed and they're looking for resources. I would say be really mindful of the media you're consuming and uh, what feels triggering right now and what feels supportive. There are so many beautiful pages out there with lots of different types of bodies and women talking about this kind of thing. And just seeing images and hearing conversations about this can be really healing. Over on my podcast, Raw Beauty Talks, there are you know, over 200 conversations about everything from postpartum to body image, to our relationship with food, mental health. We dive deep into all of these topics with some really incredible people. Wim Hof has been on the show, Dr. Daniel Amen. So lots of great stuff there. In regards, I'm going to give you a free handout as well called 55 Ways to Feel Better in Your Body. And so I'll make sure that you have access to that. Being mindful of the media and then also... Can you just start to find that voice of self-compassion? Because this is the way that your body is. And you can either hate on that body and you can either, you know, throw rocks at yourself with thoughts that you're thinking and the words that you're thinking, or you can soften into a little bit more self-compassion. And I know that sometimes we can resist finding that self-compassionate voice. I get that. I have been there. But if you can imagine speaking to yourself like you would speak to your best friend, that's a great place to start. Can you just be 1% kinder to yourself? Can you imagine a little six-year-old version of yourself and imagine her standing in front of the mirror saying like, I hate this part or why does this have to look this way? What advice would you give to her in that moment when Mm -hmm. she's looking in the mirror and she is hating on herself or she's uncomfortable in her body or she feels not enough, what would you say to her? And it doesn't have to be you're perfect just the way you are if that doesn't resonate, but maybe you just imagine yourself putting your arm around her. And one thing that often feels good for me when I'm doing this type of exercise is just to say, of course you feel bad about your body. Like think of all the messages that you've received telling you that this is wrong, but you just gave birth. Like you just had a baby Mm -hmm. and you're becoming a mother and you're in a huge transition. So it's totally normal that you feel the way that you feel, but we're just going to keep taking little steps, allowing yourself to have that extra bit of water today or to get out for a walk, not to change your body, but to support your mental health, Mm -hmm. change the way that you feel in your body. 
That's so, so beautiful. Play it back. Listen again. I mean, that message can be used for anyone in any phase of life. And thank you for sharing that. So speaking to how you feel, what are you obsessed with? What makes you feel your best right now? All right. What I'm obsessed with right now is not drinking and finding amazing non-alcoholic options to really like satisfy that need to have something in a wine glass or to have that ritual of enjoying a yummy drink. And there are so many. I love the tossed um, rosé. I love the groovy non-alcoholic. It's like a bubbly pink Mm. champagne. Yeah. But not non-alcoholic. It's groovy. G-R-U-V-I. I love just drinking water in the evenings out of a wine glass. And I find cutting out alcohol has been such a freaking game changer in regards to my energy levels, the way that my skin looks, my mental health, a reduction in anxiety. I mean, there's just so much information coming out right now about alcohol and the impact that it has even small amounts. So if that's something that you're thinking or have been thinking about working on a little bit, uh, feel free to reach out or DM me at Robbie Detox anytime. So that my matcha, uh, I have I've always been obsessed with walking with a good podcast in. I mean, instant hit of inspiration grounds me right back down. And yeah, I just feel like myself in those moments. I think I'm also just obsessed with falling in love with my everyday life. Mm-hmm. Like I've had a lot of these really cool moments going to the Monaco Grand Prix and sitting in the garage at like Lewis Hamilton and Sierra and like going to this party here or flying to the BVIs to host a meditation retreat. And you can get almost addicted to those highs and those big moments. And so one thing I'm working on is just really falling in love with the everyday, like falling in love with doing airplane with my daughter, you Mm -hmm. know, when they put them on your feet and looking at the shadows on the wall in the morning and Vancouver summer is just so next level. Like the amount of greenery that's out right now and the smells in the air and barbecuing and just Mm. my husband giving me a hug in the morning and, and like those little moments, I think for me, it's so important to really keep coming back to those little moments. And the more joy that I find in there, in that, the more expansive life really begins Mm -hmm. to feel. I couldn't agree more. You're so inspiring, Erin. Where can people find you? Thank you, Sophie. Thanks for having me on. I've loved this conversation. Oh, I mean, we could talk. For Always two the best hours. chatting with your friends. I know. <laughs> At the beginning, you were like, we, "We're going to keep this shorter." I was like, "That's going to be so hard for us." I know. Let's try. <laughs> People can just come find me over on Instagram at Raw Beauty Talks. It's the easiest place or my website, rawbeauty.com. Amazing. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you so much for listening today. You can find me on Instagram at Sophie C. Collins or on my website at sophiecollins.com. And you can find my brand One Wednesday at one underscore Wednesday underscore shop on Instagram or onewednesdayshop.com. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend. And if you have time, leave a rating and review. I hope you have an amazing day. Thanks to Podfather Creative for editing and production.